Welcome, Valley family. This is week number six in our series that we're calling Seven, looking at the seven churches uh, in the book of Revelation. A lot of people don't realize, or maybe in the Valley family, you're discovering that Jesus, actually the whole book of Revelation is addressed to seven specific churches. And and Jesus is actually correcting them for some things that are going wrong uh, and also encouraging them for some things that are really going right. Uh, I gotta tell you this, I've been really looking forward to getting to this week's message because this is the sixth message message, the sixth church, the church of Philadelphia, and this is the only church where he doesn't correct them. Uh, in fact, there's nothing but good that he has to say, and, and I don't know about you, but just even studying through all this, preaching through all this, it's been kind of tough. It's been very challenging, but not this weekend. This is really like, okay, ooh, I just, this is what I wanted to hear was the, the Church of Philadelphia. So before we jump in there, let me just say next week we'll be concluding the series with the Church of Laodicea, and that's the lukewarm church. It is pretty interesting. We're going to find out that Jesus says, you know what, I'd rather be cold in your heart towards me or hot in your heart towards me, but lukewarm right in the middle. I can't stand that. And he actually says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth is what he actually says. And so we're going to talk about spitting next week in church. And so I hope you'll make plans to be with me then. I do want to mention though, because we have, uh, uh, this is being recorded for our Poughkeepsie campus and also our online campus on August the 6th, Sunday, August the 6th, next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching live in our Poughkeepsie campus. And I haven't been there in a long time and I'm really, really looking forward to that. So if you've never been to our Poughkeepsie campus at Regal Cinemas, I, I encourage you maybe to check it out. 9.30 on August the 6th. Uh, I'll be preaching live there. And even when I'm live, nobody even looks at me. They look at the big screen uh, anyway, because my head's like 15 feet wide and I look like some kind of monster. Uh, so anyway, that's going to be on August the 6th. Uh, so we're looking at the sixth church, Philadelphia, the enduring church, and also the horrible home of the horrible football team. So uh, don't think actually it's not, it's not Philadelphia like that. We're not talking about Philadelphia PA because there'd be nothing to talk about. Seriously, in terms of the Eagles, the Eagles is what I'm saying. We're not talking about that. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is actually named after this city, Philadelphia, that was in Asia, Asia Minor, over 2,000 years ago. And the seven churches in the book of Revelation are all in Asia Minor. In fact, there were 10 uh, cities in Asia Minor that had Christian churches. And Jesus leaves three of them out. He doesn't even mention them. But there's there's seven of them that he mentions. And we talked about this in weeks past. It's actually the Roman postal route. The order in which these appear in the book of Revelation was the way that the Roman mail was delivered. And so first they went to Ephesus and they went all the way through. And you can check that in one of those beautiful color uh, maps in the back of your Bible there. But we're in Philadelphia right now. And uh, let me start by kind of asking this question or or just imagine this, if you will, for me, with me for just a minute. Imagine that, that in life you just have done everything right. You made all the right decisions. You made all the right choices. As we've been talking about, you know, in in this series, uh, the importance of you've been walking holy and and, and in purity before God. And then all of a sudden, your world just falls apart. Everything that you feel is so stable, so strong, it just begins to shake all around you. That's exactly what is happening to the Church of Philadelphia 2,000 years ago. We're going to see, as I mentioned before, that, that, that Jesus has nothing to correct this church about. But they were going through an incredibly difficult time. Not only uh, uh, j- just as, as human beings, but especially as Christians. Lethal persecution released on the church in Philadelphia. Interesting, in in the city of Philadelphia, again, not PA, but a little background so we understand uh, what's happening here to this church and the people in the city. Same thing today, it's not called Philadelphia anymore, it's another uh, uh, name for the city, but it's known for having incredible wine in that area. The city was known for having incredible, just delicious wine, like some of the best you could ever have, largely because it was surrounded by volcanoes. And the volcanoes would erupt, and it was over centuries and hundreds and thousands of years. And and because of that, there was such rich soil that grapes grew very, very well. And so it was known for some of the best wine in the world. But because of the volcanoes, it was also known for incredible earthquakes. 
There was so much going on underneath the surface. In fact, uh, shortly after the time, during the Roman uh, occupation uh, of the Roman Empire, there was one time when the city was so devastated, everything was so destroyed, that they went and they started to rebuild the city of Philadelphia. Another earthquake came, destroyed again, started rebuilding. Another earthquake destroyed again that Caesar actually gave them an exemption from paying any taxes because they couldn't even get their feet underneath them. And so in a very real sense... Those Christians, as Jesus is speaking to the church of Philadelphia, the ground is literally shaking underneath their feet. Think about it. You go to sleep one night, everything just looks strong and stable. You wake up the next morning, everything's just rubble in your world. That's literally what these people have experienced. On top of that, those that were Christians were being persecuted, and it was actually totally acceptable being drug out of their homes, men, uh, fathers, mothers separated from their children. They're being martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the backdrop of the church of Philadelphia, the enduring church. And we've seen this all throughout the book of Revelation uh, these, the, the, through our study uh, in the seven churches that Jesus is speaking to the churches and sometimes, like last week, it looks like everything's going really, really great and he's like, you're not alive, you're a dead church. Jesus is giving his followers a different perspective, a heavenly perspective, if you will. In fact, you could check it out for yourself. Revelation chapter four, verse one, the whole rest of the book a lot of people get this wrong, don't realize it. The entirety of the rest of the book, Jesus says to the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, come up here into heaven, and I will show you the things to come. All the, the imagery is from heaven's perspective, not here on earth, from Revelation chapter 4 all the way through. And even the first few chapters, there's an incredible amount of imagery as well. In fact, it sets the tone for the rest of the entire book. And so let me give you the, the big idea in this sixth message in this series that we're calling seven about the churches of Revelation. Are you ready for it? If you have your Valley Christian Church app, you want to go ahead and open that up and fill in the blanks and, and follow along because we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. I think that's going to be incredibly encouraging to you and me because you know what? Sooner or later, the ground's going to start shaking under your feet too if it's not already. Things that just seem so permanent, same things that seem so reliable, things that just seem that we can just totally depend on, they just start shaking, just like in Philadelphia. And Jesus speaks into the middle of that shaking. Great encouragement and great hope. Even as I believe probably Christians in Philadelphia were questioning God, where are you? Why is this happening to us? What's really going on? God, are you even there? God, do you really care? Here's the big idea, this message this week. We can endure anything if Christ is our everything. You and I can endure anything if Christ is our everything. That's exactly what we're gonna see in our time together as we look at Jesus's words to this church. Christians, in Philadelphia. We can endure anything if Christ is our everything. And they were enduring horrific violence, murder, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I notice, I see, I'm aware. It, it, it's not beyond me. I, I, I'm not missing. My back's not turned. And he encourages them in an incredible way as literally everything is shaking around them. This letter to the, uh, to the church of Philadelphia, we're gonna find this theme uh, in our time of study together where, where Jesus is gonna say, I'm opening a door. And you know, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a Christian cliche sometimes. It comes from here, primarily. Primarily from here in Revelation. Where, where Jesus says, I'm, I've opened a door to you. I, I remember, you know, uh, uh, one time I was a young kid and, and I'd gone through a, a just kind of a tough thing. It wasn't anything now uh, as I think back on it, but I, I was in high school going through a tough time. And, and I remember someone in the church, they tried to encourage me like, Greg, don't get too upset about it. Doors will open. I was like, what does that even mean? 
doors will open. Is it like I'm going to be walking down the street and doors are going to just fly open and that's going to, I'm going to know that's where God wants me to be? What does that mean? I think we've used this in a way that it's not intended to use, and, and, and we need to understand what Jesus is saying when he says, open doors, doors are going to open. What does that even really mean? It's actually very, very clear in the Bible, this whole idea of open doors. And as I said, this is my favorite letter because Jesus, it's very interesting. Previously, the other five churches and the church we'll look at next week, Jesus draws on this image in Revelation chapter 1. This vision that John has of him, and it's pretty ghoulish. We've described it before. His eyes are on fire. His hair is like wool. There's a big sword coming out of his mouth. He's holding seven stars, and he's walking along seven candlesticks. It's like, what is up with this scary fright night? But not with Philadelphia. It's the only one of the seven that he doesn't refer back to Revelation chapter 1. He gives them a different image of who he is that has not been seen up until this time. Let's look at it now, this special picture that Jesus gives of who he really is. Revelation chapter three, verse seven. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, now that's not PA, remember, that's Asia Minor. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What is the key of David? This is not from Revelation one. This is a whole new idea that Jesus speaks just to the church of Philadelphia. The holy and who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus is saying here to the Christians in Philadelphia, I'm going to do something for you that I haven't done for the other churches. I'm going to reward you in a very special way because I see what it is that you're going through. I see the difficulty that you're facing. And he says, what I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. So I've got a few questions as we work our way through that, that I'll ask the question and then we'll answer it from the passage. Here's the first one. What is this key that Jesus is holding? What is this all about? He says, I'm holding the key of David. What is this key that Jesus is referring to? Now, we talked about this last week. Uh, anytime you come across anything, particularly in kind of this uh, uh, symbolism all throughout the Bible, one thing that's very important is that we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. In other words, is there anything else anywhere in the Bible that talks about this key? Because we don't, we don't want to interpret it based on, you know, the nightly news or whatever. But, but if there's somewhere else in the Bible that explains what this is, like last week we talked about the seven spirits. I thought that was only one Holy Spirit. Until we looked at Isaiah where he describes seven aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And so we need to do that again in answer to this question. What is the key that Jesus holds? Again, we go back to Isaiah. 500 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 22, 22. Speaking of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come, Isaiah says, God shows him, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Sound familiar? John was writing this, dictating from Jesus, 500 years later. 500 years before the virgin gave birth, before Mary gave birth to Jesus. Isaiah says, he's going to have this key of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. No one can stop what he starts. And what he ends, what he closes, no one can open. And Jesus is saying to the Christians in Philadelphia, and their world is falling apart around them and shaking, he's like, I'm in charge. I'm in control. It looks like from your perspective, things are just going out of control. Everything's falling apart. And Jesus is saying, when I open a door, it stays open. And when I close a door, it stays closed. Jesus, in essence, is saying, I'm that guy. I'm that guy Isaiah was talking about. I'm that guy that holds the key. Not only that, you may remember the story. Just connecting again, interpreting scripture with scripture to understand what's being talked about. 
In Jesus' ministry, there was a time, uh, you'll probably recognize some of this if you've, you've been around church at all, uh, there, there was a time uh, about a year and a half to two years into his ministry that uh, he was doing miracles, he's doing all these things, and he, uh, opening the eyes of the blind, he's healing the sick, lepers are being uh, cleansed, and, and uh, uh, literally people being brought back to life, Lazarus. And at one point, he actually asked the disciples, who does everyone say that I am? And they start, like, guessing. They're like, uh, Isaiah? I mean, they're like, Elijah? Uh, maybe you're, uh, and they're just guessing. It's all wrong. And then he says, who do you say that I am? Just to the 12 disciples. And Peter, who so many times should have kept his mouth shut because he stuck his foot in it. This time, Peter got it right. He says, you're the Christ the son of the living God. And when you read the account, it's almost, like, it's almost like Jesus took a step back. And he says, Peter, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father is in heaven. And he says, and upon this rock, he wasn't talking about Peter. His name actually was Simon at the time. Jesus changed it later. He said, upon this rock, this this." proclamation that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And then he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See if this sounds familiar. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus says, I'm the one who holds the key. And whatever I open, it stays open. No man can shut it. And whatever I shut, no man can open. And here he says, I'm going to give the authority to my church to do my business on the planet. And he makes this promise to faithful Christians in Philadelphia that are going through horrific events as their world is falling apart all around them. He says, I'm the one who holds the key. And he passes that on to his followers, this key. And then he makes this statement in the next uh, part of Revelation chapter three, verse eight. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you, here it is again, this whole idea, an open door. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. The Roman Empire has said it's perfectly legal to persecute and even murder Christians for their faith. And Jesus says, no one is going to destroy you. No one is going to close the church of Philadelphia. No one is going to shut you down because I opened you. You're going to endure this. This is why the church of Philadelphia is the enduring church. I know your deeds, Jesus says. And see, I'm before, I've, given, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. No one at all. What does this mean, this whole idea of an open door? I think it's so important because, again, of all these churches that Jesus speaks to, this is the only one that he encourages, that he doesn't correct at all. And you know what? I, I want to believe, I want Valley Christian Church to be like the Church of Philadelphia. Definitely not PA, but, but here in the Bible. What, what does this mean, this whole idea of open door? Again, this is biblical language that when they heard it, they understood what was being talked about. What, what does this mean, this whole idea of an open, an open door? Over and over throughout the Bible, and I'll just look at a little bit of it here, an open door literally means open door, watch this now, into other people's lives with the gospel. That's what the open door means. The open door, when Jesus says, I'm going to open a door that no man can shut, I'm going to give you influence into people's lives that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will transform their lives. So many times we misquote this. Oh, you know, uh, I lose my job. A door will open. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not at all. In fact, that's horrible Bible interpretation. Whenever you see this idea of open door in the Bible, it's always for the sake of sharing our faith with Je in Jesus Christ with someone else. 
And that's what made Philadelphia, the church there, distinct from the other churches. It's because they were outward focused instead of being inward focused. Even, even in the midst of persecution, even when they're being martyred for their faith, they continued to look outside to reach those that did not know Jesus Christ as their savior. This whole idea of an open door. How do you know? Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the apostle Paul writes about it. The Holy Spirit's inspiring his words. Look at what Paul says. But I say, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, which is a Jewish festival, because listen to what he says. Listen to the imagery. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Now, this is pretty awesome when you think about it. Paul says, I'm going to stay here because God has opened a door for me. And look at what it says, and I love this now. A great door for effective work. That's not a curse word. Work is a good word. He says, work has opened to me. Uh, and a great door of work has opened to me. So many times, it's, it's so funny. You know, when, when uh, I, I know all of you just think of work like one weekend out of the month, you know, oh, out, you know, one day out of the week or something like that. It's so interesting when we bring someone on staff, they're like, I had no idea how hard a work it is working for a church. It's crazy. It's hard, hard, very hard work, and it's not for everyone. Paul says here, because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and don't miss this now, and there are many who oppose me. So many times we think when someone starts making fun of us because of our faith in Christ, we're like, oh no, this is terrible. This can't be what God wants. Paul says, I'm exactly where God wants me to be because people are making fun of me and they oppose me. I'm exactly in the center of God's will because things are difficult for me. And he says, so much so, I'm gonna stay I'm not leaving. There are many who oppose me, and I recognize this. God has given me an open door, what? For the work of the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with more people. Just another example of this idea of doors being opened are always for the sake of the gospel going forward. Look at Colossians chapter four. Also, Paul writes here, to the church of Colossae. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may do what? Open to us a door, not because, you know, he's just uh, well-mannered, you know, he's opening doors for people. Uh, he's not a doorman. That God would do what? Open, us, uh, open to us a door, what? For the word. What's the word? God's word. The preaching of God's word. To declare the mysteries of Christ. It's not a door is opened up to me so that I can make it rich. That's not the purpose. A door is opened up to me so I can be more powerful. That's not why doors open. God opens doors for you and for me so that we can share our faith with others that don't know Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, when I open a door, no one can shut it. And when I shut a door, <laughs> no one is going to be able to open that. And so he says, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Again, we find this thing that, that, that Paul says, I'm in prison. He was in prison because of sharing his faith. And he's like, pray that another door opens for us, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. It's always about sharing our faith with other people, that God will open doors of opportunity for that to happen. That's what was happening in and through the Church of Philadelphia in the middle of incredible persecution. So here's the second question. Why is Jesus' favor so strong on them? Why is his favor, why is, why is Jesus, his grace, his, his empowering presence to do his will, why is it so strong on them? Well, I kind of already touched on it, didn't I? Revelation chapter three, verse eight. Look at the rest of it. He says, I know that you have little strength. Jesus says, I know you're not that strong. I know you're not that big of a church. Yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. 
He says, I know you're small. I, I, I know that you're not a huge, huge church. Again, church of Ephesus at this time, the writing of First and Second Timothy, when Paul turned the church of Ephesus over to him, most scholars believe probably 4,000, 6,000 people. The church here in Philadelphia, maybe 100. And yet this is the one that Jesus says nothing but positive about. Why? Why was his favor so strong on them? They didn't have much. But watch this now. They were putting everything that they had on the line to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people. They were all in. They just had a very little, but they had been faithful. We saw this in the other uh, churches that Jesus addresses that they began to shy away from. They began to compromise. They began to allow all kinds of things in the church and they never would, would, would correct those and they would never say, that's wrong. It shouldn't be happening in the church but not the church of Philadelphia. Not at all. You can almost hear the, uh, the tender tone of Jesus as he speaks to them. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. You know what? I hope, I pray, I want to believe that if we heard the audible voice of Jesus tonight, this would be his tone to Valley Christian Church. I, I hope that. I, I want to believe that. Because I, I, I want to make sure that I do everything that I possibly can to encourage, to lead, to challenge, to instruct. That, that we as a church family would be like the Church of Philadelphia and not those other six churches in the book of Revelation. This is the example to follow here. I want the Valley family to be this kind of church too. How about you? How about you? I, I wanna hear that tender tone from Jesus if he speaks. I, I know you're not all that strong, but you know what? You've, you've kept the faith, you've endured. You haven't given up. And then he says this and, and Bear with me now because it'll take a minute to unpack this because it's not what we think it may be saying. Revelation chapter three, verse nine, the next verse. Then Jesus says, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, this, this whole idea of synagogue of Satan should sound familiar. In fact, we covered that when, uh, when Jesus spoke to the church of Smyrna in this series. These were Jews that were telling lies about the Christian church to those who are already persecuting them to actually pour, pour gasoline on the fire. They were making up lies about the Christian so the persecution would get even more and more intense against the Christian church. And, and Jesus here is saying, in essence, he's like, they think they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing what God wants, but they're actually doing the devil's work. That's what he's saying. They're deceived. They're misled. They think they're doing right. Remember, there was this guy named Saul also who was like that uh, in the New Testament who persecuted the church. And then Jesus knocked him off his horse one day and he said, who are you, Lord? And he goes, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Jesus changed his name to Paul and he wrote two thirds of the New Testament and became the greatest defender of the Christian faith. He thought he was doing right, but he was really doing the devil's work. And Jesus is saying here, I'll make those who think they're doing right, that think that the Christianity, that think that Jesus is not the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to sacrifice himself to pay the price for your personal sins and my personal sins on the cross, that, 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 that don't see that, that God made a way through sending Jesus, that they think they're doing the right thing, but they're really not. I mean, this isn't anti-Semitic. Jesus was a Jew who was saying this. He's talking about people that thought they were doing the right thing and firing up the flames of persecution against the Christian church 2,000 years ago. He said, they're not doing God's work. They're doing, they're doing the devil's work. Look at what he says. It's really a promise. They're really liars. They're lying about you but I'm gonna make them come 
and they're gonna fall down at your feet and they're gonna acknowledge that I've loved you. He's saying to the Christians in Philadelphia, I'm going to bless you even in the middle of persecution and heartache and stress and tragedy. And those that are even persecuting you are going to fall down at your feet and say, we were wrong. We see God really does love you. We've been wrong in what we've been doing. I love this, this, this great promise that Jesus makes to his followers when we remain faithful to him that he'll turn the tables. What the enemy meant for evil, God will turn around for good. Jesus says, they'll fall down at your feet and acknowledge God loves you. We were wrong. We were wrong. Do you see this favor that Jesus has on the church of Philadelphia? They they stand out so much from those other six churches. Of all the seven churches, the book of Revelation, this is the one that I pray Valley Christian Church is like. Because listen, let's be honest. Obviously, they had to have problems in the church. It wasn't a perfect church, but Jesus didn't correct them. Why? It couldn't have been a perfect church because there are no perfect people. And by the way, this isn't a perfect church either. In fact, that's our one kind of rule that we have. No perfect people are allowed. So if you're perfect, let me recommend some other churches. Because none of us are. No one's perfect. So of course the church wasn't perfect. But why didn't Jesus correct them? Listen, this is why. Because their passion burned hot for him. And they continued, even in the face of incredible challenge and tragedy, to look outside and to reach people with the good news of the gospel. And Jesus says, I have nothing to say to correct you. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. As long as their passion for him was driving them, he says, I've opened the door and no one can shut you down. This church wasn't perfect. They had struggles. I'm sure they had things that they needed to work on, but Jesus was pleased with them. Why? Because they continued to keep the main thing, the main thing. People ask me sometimes, I go to conferences, I was on a video conference call this afternoon with 17 pastors uh, from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut that, that are really like bishops over tons and tons of churches. People ask me, what's the secret sauce, Greg? What's the, what's the secret sauce of Valley Christian Church? Why is it that, that and there are all these, and, and their churches are struggling? They're like, what is it? And, 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 you know, sometimes I wish I could just put it in a jar and send it to people. You know what I believe it is? Why is it that, that already we're at 16% growth over last year? That, that I shared that, that last week over 154 people since January 1st have received Jesus Christ as their Savior through Valley Christian Church? Why is that? Why is it that not only are we moving our portable uh, campus in Poughkeepsie into a permanent one, but we're looking to start in a third campus? And that's only the beginning. We're just getting rolling. What's happening in this church? Do you know what I believe it is? We are committed to keeping the main thing the main thing. Just like the church of Philadelphia. And Jesus says, I will put my favor on any church that their focus is not on entertaining the people that are already in the church. But their passion is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what was happening here. You, you can do intensive study, and I have on the church of Philadelphia, that's the only conclusion that separated them from the other six churches. Their passion for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and building his kingdom. 
Jesus's favor was on them. And the only thing that we can find, scholars can find about this church that made them different from the other six was their heart to reach out to other people. That's it. And Jesus said, I have nothing to correct you about. Not that they were perfect, but he's like, nothing but love and strength and grace to you. This is how at Valley Christian Church we express the reason why we exist. Here it is, reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. That's, how, that's our focus in everything that we do. Reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Why, why would we start a second campus? Why not just build a huge building here and just you know millions and millions and millions of dollars? Because ultimately we didn't feel like it would effectively reach more people. And so we went to where the people are, <laughs> Regal Cinemas in Poughkeepsie. Everybody knows where it is. We've never had to give anyone directions to our Poughkeepsie campus. <laughs> never. I mean, we don't know address, no nothing. They're like, where's your Poughkeepsie campus? Regal Cinemas? Oh, yeah, I go there all the time. In fact, we just went there on Monday as a family. Saw a really good movie, Dunkirk, highly recommend it. Anyway, we're moving on. But, but uh, reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, that's what we're all about. That's our passion. Because as long as there's someone in our community, in our, in our local area that doesn't know what God did for them through Jesus Christ, we've got work to do. That's the secret sauce. That's what Jesus said the purpose of the church is, to make disciples, to teach them all that he's instructed them. And he said, and then I'm with you always when you're doing my business. When you get sidetracked into all kinds of other stuff, church, things don't go well. That was the secret sauce for the Church of Philadelphia. And I believe that's what we've got to continue to always keep the main thing, the main thing here at Valley Christian Church. And so I thought it'd be really good just to quickly review kind of like what our strategy is so, so we're all aware of it. And our strategy of how we do this, reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, is really found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And I won't take the time to look at that right now, but let me give you the strategy right out of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 and 18. This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. And he said, this is what I pray for the church of Ephesus. And it's how we keep the main thing the main thing. First of all, that you'd know God better. What is that? When does that happen? It's in our weekend gatherings, just like this that people would come and they get to know God better. That's what Thursday's about, that's what Sunday's about. That we get to know him better. That we begin to understand what he's done for us. And, and that's why I try to make the messages practical that can take with you. And so that you know him better. Here's the second thing, that you find freedom. That's in our small groups that that happens. The Bible makes it really clear. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. If we need forgiveness of sins, we ask God. We, forget, we confess our sins to God. If we need healing because of the brokenness in our lives, we do that to one another. The healing's found in those small groups. And we're developing all kinds of other new small groups as well. So we have short-term groups. We have our growth track. We have a Short-term groups, we have community groups as well. And if you're not part of a community group at Valley Christian Church and you've been here for a while, let me encourage you, take the step, take the challenge and become a part of a community group. You won't regret it. Group link is coming up in the fall. We only have it uh, once every, uh, twice every year, once every six months. Because these groups, they, they, they're open and people get into them and then they close and for six months they share their lives together. And that's where the, really the, the freedom comes. The Bible says it was for freedom that Christ died to set you free. We weren't meant to do life alone. We we're meant to share our lives with others. The third step that we have is discovering our purpose, and that's in growth track. Growth track that happens simultaneously with all of our services. Uh, four different classes or four different weeks. Every single month we have growth track where you can discover your unique purpose that God created you for that's not like anyone else and where that fits in to God's plan on this planet. You're unique and God has a unique plan and purpose for your life. He's given you unique strengths and abilities. You're not here by accident. As I like to say, there are no such thing as accidental children. Accidental parents, yes. Accidental children, no. 
growth track is where you discover the unique purpose that God created you for. Then I think every one of us, we want to, with our lives, we want to make a difference. Where do we learn how to make a difference? That's becoming part of our dream team. Our volunteers that are serving. See, we always grow more when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we look to help someone else. That's where the real growth happens. And this is what Paul the Apostle, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prayed for the Christians at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 and 18, practically, this is how we make disciples here at Valley Christian Church. That's the process. Here's the third question. How will Jesus reward those in Philadelphia? He, he said to the other churches, I'm coming with a reward. How's he gonna reward them? <laughs> he has nothing to correct them about. How's he going to reward them? Look at what he says. Verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently. It's the enduring church. He who endures to the end, Jesus said, in the gospels will be saved. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. Jesus is saying to the church of Philadelphia, you think it's bad now what you're going through. The reality was the worst persecution of the Christian church had not even started yet. And Jesus knows. And Jesus tells them, I'm going to keep you safe through that persecution. Hadn't even started in the years following this, after 90 AD, about the time the book of Revelation was written, that was when the bloodbath in the Roman Empire, the blood of Christians spilling over in the streets. And Jesus says, I'm going to keep you from it. I'm going to keep you from it because of your patience and your endurance. Then the next verse, he says, I am coming soon. In the next verse, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He's like, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to put the crown of life. Later on in the book of Revelation, it talks about that. I'm going to put the crown of life on your head. Don't miss this now. The one who is victorious, in other words, the one who endures, the one who remains faithful through it all, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. You know, sometimes we talk like that. At least I do as a pastor. You know, somebody will mention someone in our church and I'll say, you know, he's a pillar in our church. What does that mean? He stood the test of time. Been here for a long time. Stable. Strong. Supportive. Probably doesn't mean anything when Greg Williamson says it. But when Jesus says it, I'll make you a pillar. You'll be a pillar in my church, in the temple of God. He's talking about in heaven for all time and eternity. It goes on and it says, never again will they leave it. He's making promises. I'll explain this in a minute. And I will write on them the name of my God, those who are faithful, victorious, and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. What is Jesus talking about here? These three promises picture believers belonging to God that have citizenship in heaven and have a special relationship with Jesus Christ. This new Jerusalem is the future of the people of God. Revelation 21 talks about that. There will be citizens in God's future kingdom and everything will be new Everything will be pure and all pain will be gone. Jesus, in essence, is saying, Church of Philadelphia, understand this. This life on earth, for you as my followers, as Christians, this is as bad as it's ever going to get. The best is yet to come. Your best day, your best day, follower of Jesus Christ, it's nothing 
compared to what God has waiting for you. Nothing at all. He says the best is yet to come. And all of this imagery, the name of God, the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, my new name, he's saying, we're going to be so close for all time because you endured till the end and you didn't turn your back on me. You remain faithful. Even in the intense persecution and heartache and, and tragedy and crisis, you remain faithful. What is Jesus saying to the church of Philadelphia? What is he saying to you? What is he saying to me? He's saying this is not the end. This is not the end. Life on this planet, this is not the end. This is not all there is. Put your faith in me. Stay faithful to me. This, this lifetime, lifespan on this planet compared to 100 million years, eternity hadn't even started yet. 999 million years, eternity hadn't even started yet. This life is a vapor. The Bible says like grass here today, gone tomorrow. But this is the perspective that Jesus brings to his followers. See it from heaven's perspective. This is not the end. Jesus is also saying to a church that's just been ripped apart and, and just ground to powder under the wheels of Roman chariots and persecution. Don't take matters into your own hands. I'm here. I see you. I love you. I've given everything for you. Don't quit. I will be with you forever. I, and I know we're not going into the rest of the book of Revelation. Next week we'll conclude this series, but I, I do want to go to the last chapter because this is, this is part of the promise for those that are faithful, for those that, that endure to the end, for those who are victorious. And to me, it's one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. Revelation chapter 21, verse four. And it's really a, a restatement of what he just said to Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 21, verse four. And it says that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. One day Jesus is going to return and he's going to wind up the heavens and the earth like an old scroll. And Revelation makes it clear he's going to start all over again for those who love him and have placed their life in his hands. It's not, not his will that anyone would ever be separated from him but he gives us the choice. But those that have received him as their savior and their Lord and are faithful to the end, he will wipe every tear from their eye. And there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Just like the garden originally was, creation originally was before sin entered into humanity. That's what waits for you. That's what waits for me. And those who have received Jesus as his son and as their savior. In Revelation 3.13, he makes this statement, the last statement to the church of Philadelphia. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. And so here's my last question for you today. Do you hear him today? Do you hear what Jesus is saying today? Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now. He does. He knows. I don't know how, how much hurt your heart is carrying, how much pain, how much disappointment. I don't know how much uncertainty you're looking at in your future tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. But he does. He knows. And he wants to encourage you today, I believe, just like he encouraged the church of Philadelphia. I'm with you. I'm going to open, I'm going to open a door for you. A door of opportunity that we would continue to be busy with his work until he comes again.
And he says, I'm going to reward you. I see everything. And I'm going to reward you, those who are faithful to the end. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this encouraging word to the church of Philadelphia. And Lord, we just want to personalize it ourselves here at Valley Christian Church. We want to personalize it. Lord, may we be found faithful when you send your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to return to this place, to end time once and for all. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that this life is not all that there is, but that there is eternity to be spent with you for all those who receive what your son, Jesus Christ, did in laying his life down on the cross, sacrificing himself for my sins, for our sins, that we would be forgiven. We'd never be able to earn forgiveness, but that it's a gift that Jesus gives us through his sacrifice and his resurrection. So Father, we say thank you. And Lord, we choose today and from this day forward to walk in your grace and to be faithful. And as you open doors of opportunity that we would share with others our faith and what you're doing in and through our lives and how we have felt the freedom of forgiveness because of your perfect gift, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to give everyone an opportunity, really an open door, if you will. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that free gift that he gives all those who would just accept it and open it and apply it to their life, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now that you can be confident that that maybe your life is filled with uncertainty right now, but you can be confident that Christ is now a part of it and he will walk with you through times of uncertainty. How do you do that, Greg? Well, the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So if you've never taken that step of faith of trusting Jesus Christ with your life, I wanna lead you in a simple prayer right now that you can repeat after me. I'm not gonna embarrass you or have you stand up or raise your hand or anything like that, but just pray this prayer with your heart open to Jesus. Just repeat after me, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I'll never be good enough to be forgiven, but Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross. Thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Guide me, direct me from this day forward. I will be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.